All right, well, if you have your Bibles, um, open back up to the Gospel of Matthew, um, chapter 7. We're really, um, reading um, verses 7 through 11 here tonight, just in a couple moments. So when it comes to prayer, I have a question. Does God answer every prayer that we bring to him? Now, notice I didn't say, does God always answer yes? I said, does God always answer our prayer? And the fact is that the answer to that question is yes. Many times God answers our prayer with a yes, and and he does what we ask. There are times when we pray and the answer is no, and there are many times that we pray and the answer is simply not yet or, or wait um, today, as we kind of get back into our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're again going to be looking at this subject of prayer, but really from a different angle kind of than we did before. Back in chapter 6, Jesus really gave us what like, I consider um, an outline for prayer, really just some bullet points, high bullet points for us to kind of guide us um, as we pray to the Lord. But today, he really shows us how our prayers can be more effective really what the power is behind our prayers. So let's go ahead and read our verses for today, then we'll get into it. Starting in verse 7, it says this, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, when it comes to things we pray about, you know, there are many times when we pray, we pray for things that are simply wants, like desires, right, that we have. Many times we pray for things that we think are needs, but many times are wants. But then there are real times when we pray for things that um, we absolutely, desperately need God to intervene for on our behalf. And, and this really is what this whole prayer is about it is coming to God with our most desperate need that we have and in faith believing that he is going to answer. Now, if you're a Christian here, the question I have for you is this. What is the greatest need in your life? The greatest need in your life. Think about that for just a second. Now, if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, I can tell you what your greatest need is. And just to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, right? I mean, that, that is the greatest need for any person who's never made that step of faith, is, is to choose Christ, to just ask him into your life to be your Lord and your Savior, to forgive you for your sin. That's step one, right? And then you can get into the camp that I'm going to be talking about here in just a moment. Now, if you are a Christian here, I will tell you that... Uh, this message is very, very much for you. Because when it comes to the subject of prayer, prayer only works, it's only a privilege for children of God. Only people that have made the decision to follow Christ. That's really the only people that have this tool of, of prayer 
in their belt. A non-believer really has no access to heaven because what gives us our access to heaven? It's the Spirit of God in us, in us, with Christ being our intercessor there in heaven, which then presents our request to his Father, right? So it's only a Christian that, that prayers do any good whatsoever in our lives. So for the rest of us that, that, that know Christ as Savior, I ask you this question, what is the greatest need in your life? Now, I think at different times of our life, we may have a different answer to that question, but what if I were to tell you that the greatest need in your life is the greatest need in the Christian's life sitting next to you? In fact, the, the greatest need of you is my greatest need and the greatest need of every Christian that there is, and, and it's this. Our greatest need is for our lives to be transformed from the inside out for our lives to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. By far, that is the greatest need that we could ever possibly have in our lives as Christians. Now, we've spent weeks now going through the Sermon on the Mount, and if you noticed that, that everything that Jesus has dealt with really in this sermon so far really deals with matters of the heart. These are heart-related issues that that, that can only happen if we have a heart that is sensitive to the Lord and a heart that's been transformed by the Lord. Jesus has not simply been talking about behavioral modification. That, that is not the point of the Sermon on the Mount, to just change one's behavior. The, the whole purpose of what Christ is talking about in here, and honestly, the, the real theme of the whole New Testament and the Old Testament, really, is this idea that God wants heart transformation. He wants, through the power of his Spirit, to transform our lives from the inside out. Now, as we've gone through this, I'm sure that you have noticed that none of these things that we have talked about really are things that we have the ability to accomplish in and of our own strength. You know, as we think about what we've learned so far, although these teachers aren't, teachings aren't really hard to understand, would you agree that they are hard to follow, you know, and to actually put into practice day by day. Why? I mean, they're easy teaching, but why, teaching, but why are they so hard for us to put into practice? And the answer is, it's simple and humbling, is because they go against our, our sinful nature as people. Even as Christians, I wish that wasn't so, but the fact is that we have a sin nature as Christian people. We have pride, we have inward desires that are right. We have natural selfishness that, that literally fights against all the themes and principles that, that Jesus has talked about here in this whole Sermon on the Mount from chapters 5 through what we've been through even up to today. Now, every one of these things Jesus has talked about here requires us to, to what? To let go of our pride. Uh, these things for us to accomplish them requires us to do something that's unnatural, which is to surrender. You know, we, we are people that want to demand our rights, and yet to follow these, we have to be people who willingly give up our rights, people who willingly deny ourselves daily, people who are ready and willing to sacrifice for the greater good, which is the building up of the kingdom of God. I mean, I think we would agree that none of these things come naturally. And, and, and honestly, instead, it seems like there's just something in us that absolutely just fights against every single one of these things. Now, think about the attitudes of the follower of Christ, um, according to Matthew chapter 5. Think, think about how unnatural these are for our sinful nature as humans. And, and I'm going to go through these because they really play into what we're talking about today. 
Like we're supposed to be people that are poor in spirit. People who constantly recognize our depravity before the Lord and our need for Him. That's not easy. We're supposed to be people who continuously mourn over sin. People who have a meek and controlled disposition, not some of the time, but all the time. People who hunger and thirst not for sin, but for righteousness. People who are always merciful towards others. People who are pure in heart. People, we're supposed to be people who are peacemakers. People who are ready and willing to be persecuted to see the kingdom of God grow and move forth. What's the problem with those? None of them come naturally. Everything in us fights against them. We may wish we had those attitudes and attributes as part of our life, but the truth of it is, is they are an extreme, extreme struggle Probably for all of us, at least at some points in our life. I mean, we're supposed to be lights to the world. People who are, are shining the light of Christ to the, dark, to the lost, dark world around us, but, but isn't it far easier just to blend into the darkness than it is to stand out? Being a light doesn't come naturally. We're not supposed to get angry. We're not supposed to have malice or hatred in our hearts. But when there's so many difficult people in the world to deal with, isn't it just a natural thing that that malice, that anger, that hatred just kind of naturally flares up in us? Our sinful nature doesn't like that command. We know we're not supposed to lust after people other than our spouse, but at least at some point in everybody's life, it's more than likely an issue to some extent or another. We know that that marriage is sacred before God, and we should do all we can to stay married and, and be the spouse God's called us to be. But can I tell you something? Marriage is hard. It's been well said. It's the hardest job that we'll ever do. Of course, not mine. It's easy, right? I mean, we know we're supposed to be people that are honest and people that have integrity, but there are times when that doesn't always suit our best interest. There are times where we're far too tempted to take advantage of situations or people to benefit ourselves. We know as Christians we're not supposed to demand our rights. We're supposed to willingly lay them down for the sake of God and others. But boy, when our rights are infringed on, when we're offended, doesn't something just flare up? The temperature gauge just shoots to the top? Almost right away. We're supposed to love our enemies, but it's really hard to do that. Because boy, wouldn't this place be a lot better if we could just get rid of some of them evil people? At least that's what we think. I mean, let's be real. Aren't we tempted to think that way? We know that giving, praying, fasting is not about us, but there's just something in us that wants to be noticed, to want people to see how spiritual we are, at least that we're tempted with that. I mean, we've seen that the, the main focus of our prayers is to see His kingdom come, and, and yet so often we're tempted to make the main focus of our prayers to see our kingdom come. I think most of us would, would agree that uh, building heavenly treasures should be the priority in our life, but boy, is it hard to get stuck on building earthly treasure. Isn't it hard to, to think about that when there's so much to gain here in the present life? We know that God promises to take care of us, but boy, it's, it's easy to get engulfed by worry and fear and anxiety when trials come. And, and even as we saw last week, we know we're not supposed to judge. We get that. Christians know that. But it's the first impulse we have so often. You know, as we think about what Jesus taught through this series, the truth is, any one of these is a struggle because of our sin nature. 
And so the big question is, how in the world do we find the strength not to follow one of them? How do we get the strength to actually follow all of them as we're supposed to be doing? Especially when everything in us fights against it. See, I can't help but wonder what the people sitting on that hill when Jesus was actually first giving this, I can't help but wonder what was going through their minds. Like, they got this all in one full swoop, right? I mean, we've been going this, through this for weeks, and, and I have no idea how long that, excuse me, that sermon of Christ was, but uh, I, I can't imagine that, 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 that something in their mind wasn't like, is this guy for real? I mean, really, have you ever thought, like, put yourself in their place? Like, how in the world could anybody obey these teachings? I mean, what he's asking for seems impossible, and, and, and he's not just talking about changing behavior. He, he's talking about complete transformation of our lives from the inside out. Yeah. That's exactly what he's been teaching. And see, I, I picture Jesus looking out and seeing these faces of skepticism and and wonder and confusion, thinking to themselves, how in the world does this guy expect us to do this? And see, in that moment, I'm sure most of them were asking the same question we have going through this series, or at least I have, going, man, I, I see what it says, but golly, I struggle with actually falling through with these things. And if, as if Jesus were reading their minds, he reveals the answer to them in our verses for today. Which is to live rightly before God. We need to desperate, in desperation, des- with, 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 with just coming with absolute dependence, saying, God, we need you to move in our lives. That, that's what this passage of Scripture really is about. Asking, seeking, knocking at the door of heaven, saying, all of these things, I fall short. I need your help. I can't transform me by myself from the inside out. That's the work, God, that you have to do. And Jesus says the only way that's going to take place is for us to ask, to seek, and to knock. Now, we need to understand this passage in context because passages like this can be dangerous, especially if we choose to try to apply them just to anything that we want. When you read scripture, and I say this often, it is so important that you read scripture and understand it in the context of the immediate things that are going on around it. What Jesus is talking about here, has the direct meaning is what, in what he has just said. Now many have taken this verse and have tried to apply it to basically anything they have asked for in prayer. The, the teachings I've heard many times on this passage are, if we pray hard enough, if we play, pray long enough, if we have enough faith, God is bound to give us what it is that we are asking for in prayer. Who's heard that taught at some point in your life? That God is bound by our faith when we ask him. But is that what he's saying? I mean, Matthew 21, verse 22, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Is that true? Or is there a caveat behind that statement? Like, if we, if, if we ask the Lord for 
anything right now in this moment? Is he bound by his word to give it to us? Or is there a caveat behind that statement? There very, there very much is, as we'll see. As we consider this subject, there are three factors that are important to keep in mind when it comes to prayer. The first one is this. Is what we are asking for in alignment with the declared will of God? Is what we're asking for, second, in alignment with God's timing? Remember those three questions? Is it God's will? Is it God's timing? Yes, no, not yet, right? And then, thirdly, are we praying in faith? See, I'll say this, and I believe this with all my heart. If, if we pray something that is outside of the perfect will of God, because remember, he's sovereign. He's the God that has declared the end from the beginning, the Bible says. He sees everything, knows everything, knows exactly, and he had a plan from, before we were ever here, he had a plan from Genesis to the end of Revelation. And so I can tell you with absolute surety and certainty that if God knows that something is outside of his declared will, it doesn't matter how long we pray about it, how much we pray about it, how passionate we are in our prayer, or how much faith we can muster up, he's not going to do it. Because it's outside of his perfect will. But it could be that something we're praying for is a yes, but it's just not God's timing yet. Meaning that if we pray and we continue to pray in faith, that eventually God will come through, but he requires perseverance in prayer before he comes through because there's some things in the meantime that he needs to have happen to make sure that that prayer does to the full extent of what that prayer has the ability to do. Does that make sense? And no matter what, we have to pray in faith, trusting that God is actually going to follow through on his word. Actually believing God at his word that he will do what he says he is going to do. See, when applying passages of scripture like this, context is so, so important because there's a huge difference when it comes to prayer, whether we're praying something that is God's will or whether we're praying something that's outside of God's will. And I can tell you why I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on this for a moment is because of this. People that don't understand that, when their prayers aren't answered, they can get angry, they can get frustrated, they can get depressed, they can get defeated because Satan will tell them, it's because of you. You didn't have enough faith. You're not good enough. He didn't listen to you because... When the real truth of it was many times is that's just they prayed for something that was simply not in God's plan. Now, what Jesus is speaking to here in this passage is obviously different than that because of the way Jesus states it here. The way Jesus states this is that what God, not maybe, not might, not hope so, God will. If we ask, we, not maybe, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door what? will be open. So Jesus is making a statement here that if we pray, there is a guarantee behind that prayer that God will answer. So the question is, is how do we know that the prayer we're praying is one of those prayers that we can be absolutely assured of that God is guaranteed to answer? 
It's the, the answer to that is when we're praying according to the will of God. How do we know? Now, would you agree that there's some things that we just don't know, are the, if, if, if it's the will of God or not? But would you agree that the vast majority of any of the issues in our life, the things we pray about, would you agree the vast majority of them have already been declared in God's word? Like, think about the list of stuff that Christ has dealt with so far. In Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and even the first part of verse 7, would you agree that all these statements, all of these teachings, these attitudes, the, the, the attitudes against sin, all these different things, would you agree that it is absolutely, undoubtedly, without a shadow of a doubt, God's will that these attributes and attitudes take place in our lives? Absolutely. There is no doubt that what we have studied so far is absolutely the will of God for your life and for my life. It is God's will without any doubt in my mind that every single one of us be transformed into the image of Christ so that our lives look like this. Because have you noticed that what he has dealt with pretty much covers basically every area of life that there is? Like, what area of life has Jesus not covered? just in those first couple chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. He's dealt with basically almost anything and everything that we'll come in contact with. So, if Jesus is speaking to that, I really believe he is. I really believe when he says, ask, seek, knock, he is speaking to what he just said, knowing in their mind that they're thinking, how is this possible? Let me tell you how it's possible. It's by seeking God, your Heavenly Father, in prayer. So, how do we do it? How do we get there? Well, the first thing we have to see is, I, I, I really believe, you can write this down if you want to, but when it comes to these areas of our lives, we need to petition God for help. That first word, that first word we say, he just says, ask. I mean, that's what asking means. Asking is simply petitioning God to move on our behalf. Verses 7 and 8 tells us that if we ask, we will receive. Right? I mean, it's simple, right? If we ask, we will receive. See, if we want to get there, if we want to gain these things that we've talked about, gain these attitudes and attributes and this heart for the Lord and for his mission and a heavenly mindset, not an earthly one, it starts by simply asking the Lord. And when I say ask, I'm talking about being specific. Like, back in the Beatitudes, if there are certain ones that you just really, really are struggling with right now, name them. I mean, you're not hiding anything. God sees it anyways. Like, if you're dealing with sin, anger, or, or malice, or, or lust, or, or being honest, or, or being, having anger towards people, or, or focusing on having earthly treasure, whatever it is, in prayer, name those things to the Lord and say, God, I am dealing with this in my life and I need your help. And can I just say this? We are not burdening God whatsoever by doing this. Because you know something? Why did God create prayer? So we could communicate with him. This is the whole point of prayer. God wants to communicate with us in prayer as his children. 
Psalm 147 and verse 11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear Him, those who put their hope in His unfailing love. He delights in us as His people. He, he wants us to come before His throne in prayer. He, he wants us. If, if your issue is fear, worry, and anxiety, can I tell you something? God wants you to bring those fears and worries and anxieties because He loves you. 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to the Lord. Because what? Because He cares for you. He is our Heavenly Father who wants to be there for us. Just like if, you're a, if you've been a parent, if you are a parent, it's a pleasure when your children come to you and, and share their fears, their struggles, their needs. Because you as, your heart is to want to help them. To want to come alongside them. That's the way God sees us. He desires to help us. You know, and when we share these, when we make these petitions to the Lord, I can tell you that it helps in a couple of ways. When we express these needs to God, it keeps the issues on the forefront of our minds. That, that's the power. Really what I'm talking about is confessing, right? We talked about the Lord's Prayer. You know, confess your sins to the Lord. This is what this is. We look at these traits in the Scripture, no matter where it's in the Bible, but just even focusing on the ones here, and we say, God, I struggle with this. God, this is an area of need that I have. I'm just, I'm sinning here, and I don't like it, and I don't want to do it. You know what that does? It, when we do that daily, it always keeps it on the forefront of our mind. And we become naturally more aware of it when we're tempted to go back and to do those things. And the other thing it does, it helps keep our eyes upward on the Lord. Because we know and we recognize in that moment that he is my only help. Because I've been trying my hardest, and I just can't do it. No matter how hard I try, I keep falling on my face. And so we ask and petition the Lord, God, I need you. But then we have to move on because, as you notice, he doesn't just say ask. He says also to seek. So it's not just about petitioning God. It's, it's also pursuing the wisdom of God in whatever particular matter this is. He says, seek and you will find. Now, what does he mean to seek? I mean, seek is defined as to search for or to pursue or to, to strive for. And so Jesus says here, if we want these attitudes, these attributes to be present in our lives, then we need to do some seeking. Our Christian life is the pursuit of the wisdom, the will, and the heart of God. That should be our highest goal, is pursuing the heart of God. Searching and striving to become the person that God wants us to be, that he's made us to be. See, once we've identified areas of our life that are not in alignment with God's will for us, we, we definitely ask for God's help, but we also have to go another step and seek out how we can begin to overcome that weakness. The question is, is how do we seek out God's will? How do we seek out God's heart? How do we seek out different ways that God has given us to help us in these areas? I mean, is it that, that, God, that Jesus just makes a statement here? Don't have anger, don't have lust, but there's nothing else in the whole Bible that gives us any inkling on how we actually make that possible in our lives? No. This is the, this is the guidebook for our life. The Bible says that everything for life and godliness is contained within the pages of Scripture. So when he says, seek and you will find, I, I truly with all my heart believe that he's saying right here. Get into, get into God's word. 
how do we find out God's will, God's word? Like I said, I've said this before, maybe you've never heard this. Who's ever wanted to hear God speak? Like verbally, like I'm speaking to you. Have you, ever, have you ever wanted to hear that? Like, boy, what if you were there on that hill and you got to hear the voice of Jesus? You could do that. You know how? You start in verse 7 and say, keep on asking. And you'll receive. Jesus spoke these words. Speak them out loud as if Jesus is speaking them all over again and you're hearing his voice. Because you're speaking the exact same words as he spoke to those people. Psalm 119.105 Your word, O Lord, what? It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we want to know what God wants, we need to seek his word. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and to correct us when we are, when, when we are wrong and teaches us to do right. So when we, I really believe when he says seek, he means seek out his word. For instance, if you deal with anger, seek out a verse like James 1 and verse 19 and 20 that says, understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. He gives us a pointer right there. When he says here back there in, in, in chapter 5, dealing with anger, he says that's a sin. Well, how do I get over that? by its understanding that one step is to... We have one mouth and two ears for a reason. Keep this one shut and keep these two open. And it'll help us to go a long ways. Quick to listen, slow to speak. If you deal with lust, take a lesson from Joseph and, and run away from temptation. Way back in the book of Genesis. Or you can look at a verse like Philippians 4.8 This is brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If we would focus our eyes on those things, lust would be diminished immensely in our lives. If your marriage is struggling, seek out God's wisdom in Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3 and ask God to show you what you can do better to make your marriage work. If you're struggling with showing kindness and forgiveness to people who don't deserve it, remind yourself of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 about the unforgiving servant. I gave that parable a few weeks ago. We are the one who had been forgiven an incredible debt by the Lord and there's nothing anybody does to us that compares with the debt we've been forgiven. If you struggle with focusing on earthly treasures over heavenly treasures, remind yourself of the parable in Luke chapter 12 of the rich fool who said to himself, I'm going to build barns and bigger barns and I'm going to fill those barns. And God said, you fool, this very night you're going to lose your life and then all that you've accumulated is going to be given to another. Verse 21, he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves here. They will not be rich toward God. Remind yourself of that. We have no idea when our last day is. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 20 years from now. We have no idea. But don't focus on storing up earthly treasures. Focus on storing them, storing them up there. And no matter what you deal with, remember God's word has an answer for you. Seek out the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If you look for him wholeheartedly, there you will find him. Seek the Lord with all of your heart. And that's when he is 
found. The point is when we seek out God's word, we will find God's wisdom for these areas of our life. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when we find it. Because the answer is in there for any possible thing that we need to deal with, whatever it is that he's spoken on here. So we, we've recognized areas of, of, of our weakness, so we petition God, we pursue God's wisdom in whatever area we have, and then thirdly, we need to position ourselves rightly before God. Now notice that ask, seek, knock. There, there's, a, there's a progression here. And there's almost like an intensity change from asking to seeking to Knocking on the door of heaven. It's as if we're on our knees like a beggar on a door saying, Jesus, I need you. This knocking depicts like this, this time of desperation where we're getting as close to the Lord as we can and we're just begging him, pleading him, we need you. If I don't have you, I'm never going to get an answer to this. It's this picture of God that if he doesn't come through, then we are guaranteed to fail. We've identified a weakness, we've sought wisdom, and now, God, I'm desperate for your help. Desperate for God to meet my need in this situation. And what does knocking do? It puts us in a position of absolute dependency upon the Lord. And can I tell you something? That is exactly where we need to be. This seems so counterintuitive. But here, if we're in a battle in this world, the logic is to fight harder, isn't it? If we want to win, we've got to fight. But can I tell you something? The Christian life's different. The Christian life, if we want victory, we have to surrender. Because we can't do it. This asking, this seeking, this knocking is this this increased intentionally and this increased intensity to the point that we are just at the feet of our Lord saying, please, I need you. I am desperate for your help. I am unable to do this on my own. And once we're there, we need to believe in faith that God will come through, that he will answer us. Notice verse 7 through 11. Let's just look at verse 7 and 8 for now. He says, keep on asking, you will receive. Right? Keep on seeking and what? You will find. The door will be open to you. There's no question here. But what he's saying here requires faith on our parts. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. He's speaking about praying for wisdom here. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, he says this, you must believe, you must have faith and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Part of the secret of effective prayer is we have to believe what we're praying for. We have to believe that our God in heaven has the power and the ability and the will to grant us what he says he's going to grant us. We have to believe him. 
Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. And listen to this. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. What is faith? I mean, if we say we, we have to believe in faith, we have to come to him believing it, what does that mean? Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the confidence and what we hope for, the, the assurance of the substance about we don't, what we don't see. The point is faith is action. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, King James says, the, the evidence of things unseen. What's the substance of our hope? The Lord. The fact that we're children of God and the Word of God tells us, Jesus has told us that He will answer us when we come to Him and ask for these things. And, and what's the assurance of things hoped for? Look around you. Does God not have the power to do anything that He wants? Every spring we plant a little tiny seed and they grow into corn and beans and grass. And I mean, He's incredible. Look what He's done in your life. I mean, He's ever, ever proved, you, proved Himself wrong that He's a faithful God? See, what faith is, is faith is action. Faith is a response to what God has declared as true. Faith is us moving forward as if God has already answered us. And so as we pray about these things that he is talking about here, we pray with the confidence that it's not a might, it's not a babe, maybe, but God absolutely is going to answer us at some point. And he is going to change it from the inside out. He is going to make us more like Jesus. We just got to keep focused on him. That's faith. The question is, do you really believe what, is, what Jesus says? Do you believe it? Listen to the verses 9 through 11. He says, you parents, he says, if you ask your children for a loaf of bread, would you give them a stone? Or if you ask for a fish, would you give them a steak? Of course not. That'd be crazy, right? I mean, even sinful parents love their children. I mean, they wouldn't give your kid a, feed your kid a rock. You wouldn't give them a poisonous snake if they asked for a fish. No. And so he says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus is making this direct comparison between earthly parents who are by their nature sinful and yet inside of them, they love their children and want to give them good gifts. And he compares them to our perfect, holy, heavenly Father who loves us way more than we could ever possibly think or imagine. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul even prayed, I pray that you would become to know, you would be able to gain the understanding how, how, how deep, how high, how long, how wide the love of God is for us. We can't even begin to imagine how deep the love of God is for us. And he's saying, if, if earthly parents will do this, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? What good gifts? What is he talking about? All the stuff that he's talked about here. That inward transformation, giving us the attitudes of the, of the Beatitudes in chapter 5. Giving us a, a transformed heart that seeks after him. That's the good gifts he's talking about here. Do we believe it? See, when it comes to inward transformation of our lives, again, which I believe this is what this is talking about, we have to believe that he's going to do it. But, 
we also have to understand that this is an ongoing process in our lives. Now, if, if you notice, I, I love the way the New, this, this uh, translation that I use, the NLT, I love the way it translated, because it translated verbatim of the Greek language. See, most translations just say, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, but this one doesn't say that, it says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. See, in the Greek language, this is an intense that means that this is a continual process that will never stop in the life of a believer. The fact of it is getting over ourselves takes time, doesn't it? Like, I wish we went from sinner to saint overnight, but does it work that way? I mean, maybe theologically, right? We're, we're made perfect, in the image of, but I mean, practically, no. See, what Jesus indicates here is that God will answer us, but in this time. Because he doesn't just say, ask once and it's going to happen. He's saying when it comes to every area of our life, basically, that he's dealt with here, he says it's going to take time. Meaning that it's not going to happen overnight. Maturity doesn't happen overnight. Mistakes are going to happen. But keep on seeking him. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking at the door of heaven. Keep your heart fixed upon the Lord. Maybe you have an area of weakness in your life that you've been praying about, but you haven't conquered it yet. What do you do? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking at the door of heaven. And eventually, I can guarantee you by the word of the Son of God himself, God will answer. It's going to happen. Jesus gives this parable in, in Luke 11 in verses 5 through 8. Just listen to what he says here. And it's referring literally directly to this passage just spoken in Luke. He says, Which of you have a friend, and, which of you have a friend, and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give to him as he needs. And then Jesus goes on and quotes the exact same thing in Luke that we just read here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. And he, he, what he is doing is setting a parable in reference to the tense that he's using. He's saying, just because God doesn't answer, keep on knocking. Be persistent. Don't stop. Because eventually, if it's according to his will as these things are, it is the absolute guarantee that he will open that door and give you exactly what you need in his time. The friends, the fact is that we are ongoing projects. And we will be until the day we meet Jesus. We were justified when we got saved, meaning we were forgiven, purified, right? We're being sanctified in our process right now as Christians. Sanctified means being made holy practically in our lives. But can I tell you something? There will be a day that we are glorified. But that doesn't happen until we meet Jesus. Until that day, we're ongoing projects. And so... When we come to God in prayer like this, as I close, 
It's when we ask, when we seek, when we knock. We keep on doing You know what's going to happen? Our attitudes are going to change. Our hearts are going to change. Our desires are going to change. Our plans and purposes for life are going to change. Sin is going to be overcome. We're going to become more like Jesus. We will become brighter and brighter lights to this world over the course of time. We will see God move through us, and we will naturally accumulate the heavenly rewards that Jesus spoke of in chapter 6. It's not a matter of if these things will happen. If we truly, with all of our hearts, seek the Lord like Jesus speaks of here, it's an absolute guarantee that he's going to move. And I really, truly, in my heart of hearts, believe this with this passage is teaching. Are there applications to other areas of life? Sure. But you, you, you know the secret to effective prayer? The secret to effective prayer is this. When we get to the point that we know the heart and the will and the mind of God, and we begin to pray according to that in faith, there's a guarantee by the mouth of Jesus that what we pray for will be answered. The Bible says we will receive whatever we ask for in prayer when it's done like that. So as you pray, seek the Lord and trust Him in faith. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this time in your word tonight. I thank you, Father, for the, the simple instructions that you've given us, Lord. And, and Lord, because they're simple, doesn't make, doesn't make them easy. Lord, I, the truth is everything inside of us fights against these teachings that you've given us, Lord. But we still have a call to become like you. So God, give us the grace. Give us the grace, Lord. And, and as you give us the grace, Father, my, my prayer is that we will be committed to asking, to seeking, and to knocking, and that we'll never stop. And God, in faith, we believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. And we ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has made all of it possible. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together, and as we close, we're going to sing a, it's a real, really an old hymn, kind of in, in modern language, but uh, Be Thou My Vision. And, and really, let's just let this be our...